Ezra chapter 7, and we're going to look at one and a half verses. Ezra chapter 7, and uh, our main verse is going to be verse 10. We'll look at the second half of verse 9. My title this morning is this, How the Battle Will Be Won in 2021. How our battles will be won in 2021. In Robert Greene's book, 33 Strategies of War, his first chapter is entitled this, Declare War on Your Enemy. So 2020, we have an enemy. 2021, we have our same enemy. Nothing's changed. All right, as Christians, we are in a war until Christ calls us home and we're in heaven. We will no longer be at war anymore. But while we are here, uh, we will be in battle. And so, I was reading this book last night, The 33 Strategies of War, and I was just looking at the table of contents, and I just loved some of his chapter titles. Like I said in chapter 1, it was declare war on your enemy. Well, we have an enemy, Satan, our flesh, and this evil world that we live in. Uh, Not the creation, but the evil world systems that are at play. And And so as Christians, we have to recognize that. We have to say, this means war, all right? Ephesians chapter 6 prepares us for war. Uh, It gives us clothing to wear, what we're to put on, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the gospel shoes of peace. We're to have the shield of faith because Satan's going to be throwing his fiery arrows at us. And then to fight back, our only offensive weapon is the word of God. So we declare war. we got to realize that. Chapter 4, his title was this, and I like this. Create a sense of urgency and desperation. So one of his strategies of war was you've got to create some urgency, some desperation. And we need to have urgency and desperation in our lives for the presence of God. Uh, As a body of Christ, we're to have that same urgency and desperation uh, for lost people who don't have the presence of God. Uh, Because if you don't have the presence of God, you have the wrath of God. And so if we know someone that does not have the presence of God, that does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we need to move in desperation and urgency and warn them of the wrath that is to come. Chapter 13, he says, you're to know your enemy. You're to train yourself, he said in this chapter, to read people, picking up on signals that they unconsciously send about their innermost thoughts and intentions. And we're to train ourselves as Christians in the Word of God. Now, chapter 16 was my favorite title out of the whole book. And uh, this may... uh, you may think less of me, but chapter 16's title was Hit Them Where They Hurt. All right? Hit them where it hurts. And so our enemy, to hit them where it hurts, uh, we have to use God's Word. We have to lean not on our own understanding, 
We have to lean on the understanding of God. We can't be wise in our own eyes. We have to look to God's wisdom to defeat our enemies. 2 Timothy 2.4 says this, No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. So we're all engaged in warfare. And what Paul was telling Timothy was, don't en- you're engaged in warfare, don't, be, don't get bogged down with the affairs of this life. Because he said this, so that you will please him who enlisted him as a soldier. I think about Matthew 4, a great battle that took place between Jesus and Satan. And how Jesus had victory uh, in that chapter. He defeated the enemy with the Word of God. So, to live for God, we've got to know God. To share God, we've got to know God. And that's how the battle will be won. It's funny that Jan mentioned her theme of last year, it was undivided. Uh, I've never done this before, but for the year 2021, I decided to have a theme, to have a word, and um, my word is rebuild, and it's probably because I've been reading through the book of Ezra and the book of Nehemiah, and those, both of those books, their themes are about rebuilding, rebuilding the, the temple, rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, so I've just had that, that that word heavy on my heart and I felt like that's what God wanted me to concentrate just in my own personal life uh, but also in ministry, my family just to rebuild put everything out on the table evaluate uh, is there stuff you need to get rid of that you've allowed into your life that's pulling you away from God? Is there stuff you need to bring in that it will draw you closer to God? So that's what I've been, in, been doing. I, I've been going through an evaluation, just everything on the table, because I want to grow closer to God. And if I have to rebuild some stuff, uh, that's what I want to do. But I got to thinking, where did this... Because I've had, like I remember Donna Cothran saying... Uh, many times, and she was uh, just a leader in our women's ministry, that she would have a word for the year. And I had other women share their, their words for the year, so I think it was something that would come up maybe in their women's Bible studies, I guess. But I never had had one, so I got the thing and I was like, where did this word theme thing come from? And so I do, I did what all of us do. When we got a question... We asked Siri. So I said, Siri, where did the uh, tradition of having a word for the year come from? And she said, this is what I found on the web. So I looked and I found an article in Time Magazine. And it told the tradition of where, we, where it started, where we get our word, like word of the year theme from. And it came from this man. Uh, he was an executive uh, secretary for this group called the American Dialect. I can't even say <laughs> the American Dialect Society. All right, and uh, he served as the executive secretary for thirty years. And see, Time Magazine every year they have like the man or the person of the year, and they will publish that 
and put it out in their magazines. And when we're at the grocery store, we'll see who won the person of the year and uh, all their attributes and great accomplishments that they accomplished. And so this guy was like, well, since Time Magazine does a person of the year, why can't we do a word of the year? So this year, uh, when we meet uh, with all these dialect scholars, we can come up with a word. So in 1990, in a hotel in Chicago, at this American Dialect Society meeting, 40 scholars termed the first word of the year. And y'all know what it was? You mean to tell me y'all don't know what it was? I'm just kidding. I didn't know either until I read the article. This is kind of hilarious. Bush lips. Yeah, bush lips. <laughs> bush lips. Alright, and you may be saying, what is bush lips? Well, it was a word known for insincere political rhetoric. And the, the, the word was coined from George Bush, the president at the time, and they got it when he said, read my lips. No new taxes. So there's where bush lips came from. So they used it like, all right, he's got bush lips. He's saying something he don't mean, all right? So that was our first word. But anyway, mine's rebuild, kind of close to bush lips, maybe. I don't know. Um, but when I think about rebuild, I can't help to think about Psalms 127.1. Listen to this verse. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And so I read that and I'm like, man, is the Lord building my home? And if he's not, everything I'm doing is meaningless. Unless I'm depending on God. Unless, if I'm leaning on my own understanding, just trying to build my family, it's going to be meaningless. And so I want the Lord to build my home. My mind goes to Matthew 7, 24. It says, Jesus said this, anyone who listens to my teachings and obeys me is wise, like a person who builds a house on a solid rock. And then again, like I shared, because I was going through, I've been going through Ezra and Nehemiah just in my own personal reading. Uh, my mind went to three men that God used to rebuild Jerusalem. And the first one was Zerubbabel, all right? God raised up Zerubbabel to rebuild the temple. The temple was destroyed when uh, the Babylonians came and took the children of Israel captive and uh, defeated them. And then he raised up Nehemiah to rebuild the city walls that were put up for, to protect and from the enemy. But those were destroyed and broken and burned down. And then he raised up a man named Ezra. Ezra didn't, wasn't rebuilding any kind of structure. God raised up Ezra. He was a scribe and a priest. And he raised up Ezra to be a prophet. And he raised up Ezra to rebuild the spiritual integrity of the nation of Israel. He, he raised him up to rebuild God's word into the lives of the people. And so this is where we find ourselves at this verse. 
how the battle will be won. All our battles will be won this way in 2021. Ezra 7, verse 9 and 10. We'll go to the second half of 9. And this is what it says. For the good hand of his God was on him. We can define that as favor of God. The favor of God was on Ezra. For Ezra, this is what Ezra did. He had the favor of God, but because he had the favor of God on him because he was obedient. And we can have the favor of God on us through our obedience. Ezra had set his heart to study the law and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. So the first thing I want us to notice about Ezra and how we can, how the battle can be won in 2021 is this. We got to have a love for the word. That verse says that Ezra set his heart. And what, what it's saying is that he was devoted. He loved. He had a passion for the word of God. And see, before we can know what God wants us to do or teach anyone else what God wants them to do, we need to know what God wants us to do. And that means studying God's Word. And Ezra had committed himself to doing that. See, Ezra hated when the Word was not championed in the affairs of people's lives. It broke his heart. Uh, in, in chapter 9, there were some sins that were brought to him. And people were saying, hey, these people are guilty of these, these sins. And when he heard it, uh, the Scripture says that he was utterly shocked. And he began to weep and he began to mourn for these people that were committing these, these sins and that God had clearly told them not to commit. And so he just weeped for them. He prayed for them. And in his prayer of repentance and forgiveness, he even included himself in that prayer. And, and that tells me that Ezra's heart, even though he wasn't guilty of that particular sin, he was in God's word enough to know that he was a sinner. He fell short. He still had stuff that he was working on. Even though he was a scribe, even though he was a priest, even though that he loved God's word, he realized that he hadn't arrived yet. And so when he called out for repentance and forgiveness to God, he included himself. So we love the word, and so when we read it, we see ourselves in it. We think of ourselves. We see stuff that we need to work on. We, we make it personal. Probably one of the greatest chapters in the book, in the Bible, talking about the Bible, is Psalms 119. And this psalmist several times, I mean, you read that whole chapter, you'll find probably the word love or delight or yearn in there, talking about how much he loved God's word. Here's a few verses that uh, the psalmist wrote. Psalms 119.97 says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. You know, and when we love something, we think about it. Uh, I love my wife, so I think about my wife. Alright? I think about her because I love her. I love my kids, so I think about them. Uh, God wants us to love His Word, to love Him, where we're thinking about it, where we're meditating on the Scripture. 
Hey, the best way I can love my wife is to meditate on God's Word. Because God's Word tells me how to love my wife. Then verse 113 in the same chapter says, I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. See, when we really love something, there's always going to be something that we hate. Uh, Because I love my wife, I hate anything that could come between our relationship. Another man, another woman, anything. I'm just going to hate it. All right? Uh, Because I love my kids, I hate anything that can pull them away from their relationship with Christ. That can hurt them. Because I love them. Does that make sense to y'all? Verse 162, same chapter, it says, I rejoice at your word that one, as one who finds great spoil. So the psalmist loves God's word so much, it's like, it's a great treasure. And that's the same thing for Ezra. Man, he just, he loved God's word and he said, I'm going to devote my time. I'm going to set my heart on loving Jesus. Now, today, um, right now, when I say the word word, I want us to think about the Bible, God's word, but I also want us to think about the living word, Jesus Christ. So, first point, love the word, love the Bible, Love Jesus, all right? Second point, study the Word. Study the Bible, but also study the life of Jesus and see what he did. Joshua 1.8, Moses had died. The Lord was speaking to Joshua, getting ready, getting him ready and prepared for battle. And this is what the Lord told Joshua. He said this, study this book, talking about God's Word, continually. Alright, you think that the Lord would be giving him war strategies. Written by Robert Greene. 33 of them he could have gave to him. But no, the Lord said, study this book continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. Y'all, there is, man, the benefits are unbelievable when we set our heart to study the Scripture. It it is for our good, the benefits of studying God's Word. Psalms 119.9 says, I have stored, I have treasured, I have studied your Word, I have stored it in my heart so I won't sin against you. You begin to study God's Word, uh, man, you'll begin to hate sin, you'll begin to see your sin, and you'll begin to repent. And so Ezra was skilled at knowing God's Word. All right, how many of y'all have ever seen Napoleon Dynamite? Man, what is, really? Y'all need to watch, watch it with me though, because if you watch it with someone that don't like it, you won't like it. But if you watch it with someone who thinks Napoleon Dynamite's funny, you'll at least laugh. You may laugh at me laughing at it. But I've introduced this movie. I've been showing some clips uh, to Addie and Ellis and Grant. And I don't even know if they think it's funny. But I think they just laugh at me because I'm like, watch this, watch this, this is funny. Well, in the movie, uh, Napoleon Dynamite and Pedro are having a conversation. And Napoleon Dynamite says, no one's going to go out with me. And Pedro said, 
Well, have you asked anyone yet? In his little uh, dialect. And Napoleon said, no. And it's kind of funny because he said, no one's going to go out with him. Well, you got to ask someone out if you want to go out with him. Anyway, Napoleon says, I don't have any skills. And Pedro looked at him and said, what do you mean? And Napoleon says, you know, like nunchuck skills, computer hacking skills, bow staff skills. Girls only like guys who have skills. And so Pedro looked at him and said, you can, you can draw. You know how to draw. And Napoleon said, yes, probably the best that I know of. And uh, so Pedro said, well, why don't you draw a picture of a girl and give it to her as a gift? I mean, Pedro is brilliant. So Napoleon, he goes and gets his yearbook, finds Tricia, looks at her face, and draws it. And gives it to her. <laughs> All right? Skills. Ezra had skills. We need skills. And our skills, I'm telling y'all, you study scripture, it will enhance your skills in life. It will give you wisdom. It will give you strength. It will enhance your relationship skills. You'll know how to treat people, how to talk to people. It will improve your skills in marriage. The Bible talks about everything. Study it. It will improve your skills. And I promised last night at the computer, that, that just went over better in my mind. I don't know why. <clears throat> All right. <laughs> All right, number three. So love the Word. Study the Word, do the Word. That's what he said. He said, I've set my heart to study it, but not just to study it, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to live it out. I'm going to obey it. I'm going to apply it. <clears throat> uh, there was an instance in chapter 9 of Ezra. Like I said, someone had brought to, them, uh, brought to him a problem about intermarriage, um, the sin of intermarriage and how the Jewish leaders were marrying pagan women who worshipped other gods. And God had warned them of that. And uh, Ezra, like I said, began to weep and to mourn. And, and, but then he led them and, and showed them what God's word said about that. And he, and he led them to see that. And they were led to repentance. Uh, they repented of that and, and got rid of that um, because he, he obeyed the word. Now, Nehemiah, the same sin got brought up to Nehemiah. Oh, yeah. Ezra, when he went to the altar to pray, it, it said he, he pulled his hair. He tore his clothes to himself. Nehemiah... And y'all, this is why I love the Bible, because I'm like, man, I can't believe he did this. But in Nehemiah 13, same sin, two men who loved Jesus, but they handled it differently. And each of them had success in the way they handled it. And so when I read the Bible, I identify with the way I'm more bent toward being a Nehemiah than I am a Ezra. But I appreciate 
how Ezra handled it. And in, in all honesty, probably I should be more like Ezra in how he handled it. But this is how Nehemiah handled it. And I was like, man, one, I couldn't believe it. And two, I was like, I kind of like this guy. And I identify with it. So same sin, it was brought to him. And this is what he said he did. He said, I confronted them. And it would be good if it stopped right there. But then it says this. And curse them. And so when I first read that, without doing any studying, where's your mind go? No, he didn't. I mean, when, you know, we read that and we're like, curse them. But what he meant was, he cursed them with the judgment of God. He was saying, hey, God's judgment is upon you. God's curse of judgment is upon you. He wasn't cussing them out, okay? I know some of y'all are like, man, doggone it. Um, He didn't do that. But that's why we have to study. Y'all see that? Because firsthand, you read that and you're like, man, can't believe he did that. But what he was saying is, man, God's judgment, there will be consequences of this if you don't repent. So he, <laughs> he confronted them, he cursed them, and, and these next few words are literal. He beat some of them, <laughs> pulled out their hair, and every parent of teenagers said, hold on, I kind of identify with Nehemiah. <clears throat> he pulled out their hair, and he made them take an oath in the name of God, saying, you shall not give your daughters to their sons, or take their daughters for your sons or for yourselves. So I just thought it was interesting. Same sin, two different types of guy. Nehemiah was more of a, uh, I mean, he was a religious man, a, a man of God, but he was more like a political leader. Ezra, he was a leader, but a religious leader, a priest, a scribe, a prophet. Uh, both handled it. But they handled it different, had different success. What, what I learned from that is we're all different. But as long as we're pointing people to the Word of God and we're doing it humbly, gentle, with compassion and love, I think that's what God wants us to do. But we've got to know the Word to do that. And they were obedient in doing that because they knew the Word. Last thing. Love the Word, study the Word, obey the Word, teach the Word. So as we're learning, all I did this morning, all I did is share what I've been reading in my quiet time. That's all I did this morning. Um, You know, this verse was hot on my heart. Just wanted to share it. Kind of been studying it, learning it. Want to pass it on. And it's, it's kind of that easy. And as parents, grandparents, uh, as Christians, that's what we do. Study. We live it out. And then we share it with others. We teach it uh, to others. And then that leads me to the last one. And it's pray the word. 
Uh, there's a great resource out there by David Platt. Uh, he's a pastor in Washington, D.C., and uh, he's wrote a book called Radical. He used to do a, a Bible study called The Secret Church. Uh, his website is called Radical.net, and it's got all kinds of free resources on that. But one of his ministries is called Pray the Word. And basically what he does, he takes Scripture and he teaches you how to pray through it. He just takes God's Word and it's a recording of him and he just prays. And it's just been a great resource for me just teaching me how to take God's Word and just pray for others, pray for myself, pray for my family, pray for my children as I read Scripture. So I read Ezra 7.10 and I can say, God, help me to have the heart of Ezra. Help me to set my heart on the law of the Lord. Help me study. God, give me insight. God, help me to apply what I learn. But God, also help me to share it. Help me to share it with my wife and my children. Help me, whatever you want me to share with the youth, to share with the youth here at this church. Help me, give me opportunities to share it. And that's just one example. So pray the word. So, Ezra, a man of God, I want us to see Jesus in Ezra. And this is how I want us to see Jesus in Ezra. Ezra loved the scriptures. Jesus loved the scriptures. Alright? Ezra used his life for the glory of God. He set his heart to study, live it out. And y'all see the progression. Y'all see how wise God is. There's a progression. Study first, live it out, teach it. The progression. Love, study, live, teach. But Ezra used his life just like Jesus sacrificed his life on the cross for us for our sins. And that's what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to save us, to rescue us, to redeem us. Uh, one of the songs that the praise team sung today. I'm trying to remember the lyrics. It said, he took a filthy wretch like this and wrapped me up in righteousness. And I sat there and I was like, man, that, that was a good lyric. Because when we read God's word, we see that we all fall short of his glory, that we're filthy wretches. But here's the good news. He wraps us up in his righteousness. Okay? And he sees us as flawless, even though we're not flawless. We're flawful, but we're not flawless. But God sees us as that because that's how he sees his own son, Jesus. And so if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to God and, uh, man, you've just been losing like a losing battle, your first step is to come to Jesus. Your first step is to give your life to Jesus, to cry out to him and admit that you're not flawless, to admit that you are a sinner and you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior and you confess him as your boss and say, God, I'm going to follow you 
The Bible says he'll save you if, if that's your heart. If that's your sincere heart, he will save you from your sins and he'll come and live inside of you and you can have a relationship with him. And then you can begin, you'll love him for what he did for you. Study, you begin to read the Bible. Oh, I didn't know this. I need to start doing this. And then, hey, did you know this? No, I didn't know. Then you share it. And then we grow as disciples and we begin to rebuild the spiritual integrity of our homes, our communities, our churches. And we're not wise in our own eyes. We don't lean on our own understanding. We're leaning on the promises of God. Let's pray. God, we love you. Help us to be like Ezra. Give us a heart like Ezra. Help us to love the Word and, and love Jesus. Help us to study the Word and study the habits of Jesus. Help us to live out the Word and, and allow Jesus to be Jesus in and through us and help us to teach the Word and, and tell others about Jesus. And God, we thank you for our families. Just thank you for the, the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, God, let us recognize... Uh, the church is not this building, it's the body of Christ and the church is about to be dispersed. And really, like that song sung, everywhere we go, it's holy ground because you created it and because we're the church. So give us good eyes out here while we're living life. Give us good ears to listen to people who are hurting. Uh, help us to be a light, help us to be salt. God, give us compassion, give us empathy for people and make us more like you. Help us to hate what you hate and love what you love and we pray and we ask all these things in your name. Amen.